0: Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the Fed Scoop Radio Network.
1: And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this
0: pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk.
1: All right. Welcome to GovActually. Typically, every episode starts with Dan Tangerlini saying, Danny, we're back, but uh, we're not back because Dan Tangerlini is uh, not with us today. He is off doing uh, important things and uh, needed to take a, uh, a break from the podcast. But fortunately, we have an amazing returning guest, Guest host Nani Colareddi, Nani, welcome to GovActually. Thank you. Excited to be here. And not not just as a guest because you've been a guest before a couple of years ago, but you are now our first ever guest host. So this it's, is a this is a huge honor. It's an honor um, just to be
2: nominated, Danny. So I was I was yes. happy to uh,
1: <laughs> make the cut. I, I I'd like you to start thinking about where this ranks in the honors of your life. Uh, You've held two Senate confirmed positions, right? You were the CFO of treasury and the deputy secretary of HUD. Correct. Uh, I was only confirmed Um,
2: for one of those though. The other one I just sort of like, was like a maiden in waiting.
1: So yeah. Oh, okay. You're a proud parent, right? And then somewhere in that mix of (laughs) parenthood, (laughs) family, Senate confirmed positions in the Obama administration. Um, Gov actually co-host is gonna have to enter into the pantheon or Mount Rushmore of your career. It's right Um, up there, it's right up there, Danny. (laughs) So I subtly got into some of your bio, Um, a long time friend and colleague and public servant. and uh, remind us what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, I'm a senior vice president at the Urban Institute, so I help uh, run the uh, think tank
1: here. And what kind of DC. topics? What is the, What are you thinking about oh, in the tank?
2: What are we thinking about right now? We're thinking about and there, racial And Is there an
1: actual there is a, there tank?
2: There is a holding tank. Uh, actually, there is no tank. Um, although we did move to a building right next to HUD. So, uh, you know we <laughs> do you like do you do you,
1: do you I look can look see your into window? the window
2: I can look into my own window I mean the the blades are dead. Is it the, all... you know
1: yeah I'm picturing yeah. you stare, standing at the window sadly longingly no, looking no. back
2: no you okay. just wave happily like how's it going guys you know you
1: yeah. in there now you have all the headaches and the problems that i used to have right
2: yeah yeah no we're here to support you we you know look we do we do research with HUD. Um, uh, so, so the good news about the urban Institute is it's, a uh, it's a place where we're trying to uh, bring research into policy action. And one of the things I we're thinking they're... about a lot is, okay. um, racial equity. So okay. we're, we're expanding our, our work on, uh, we've always worked on uh, programs that help improve opportunity, but we're also, uh, taking a racial equity lens to that work.
1: Well, I want to get into the transition, but but before we do that, or what I'm calling the transition in waiting, um, mm-hmm. I think I coined that phrase. So it's a good uh, phrase. Trade at daily trademark <laughs> tm tm please transition in waiting. But before mm-hmm. we do that, just a little bit on think tanks. Like how how do you how do think tanks influence public policy and the direction of government, and in particular for now when everything feels as broken as it does, is there like extra stress and tension at think tanks as they're trying to figure out like it's, it's crunch time to have even more influence?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, we, I think there's always um, a desire to, to have your research be relevant. And so um, what, we're, what we're doing is we, we actually do work for clients, right? And sometimes our clients are governments, local, state and federal. Government and sometimes our clients are foundations. So we are using a series of tools. Some of them are called evaluation and survey, but some of them are also um, uh, helping use data and information to influence policy. So, uh, one good example of this is a long standing study we did in several communities over a few years. Uh, the use of vouchers, housing vouchers, that HUD um, funds through public housing agencies to understand whether or not recipients of those vouchers could actually find housing. And we found out that they could not, often because you are, uh, y- you know, it's, it's a mild discrimination and source of, of uh, income, is how I would be yeah. practically. So that study came out and actually the, uh, Ben Carson did a listening tour using that study. So, oh, wow. so okay. it was directly influencing the thinking of, of, of the current administration's housing and urban development and actually in Los Angeles they passed a law um, barring discrimination uh, based on source of income. So okay. the notion is that to make these more usable, I mean, we were leaving money on the table Basically, local governments are leaving money on the table because people trying to use a voucher, which is aimed at subsidizing your housing, were unable to use it. And our studies found that um, to be the case in multiple communities across the country. So that's how that's a good example of how a multi-year um, project might help influence policy once we get the results. But yeah, we, it's one we of those use... area...
1: Oh, go ahead. I was just saying it's just one of those areas of. Uh, that I, I don't think people have a good sense of, of how all the puzzle pieces fit together to try to create better government, right? And the think tanks play a key role as you just described in elevating the dialogue around public policy. So it's evidence-based and it's smarter and it's researched and it's thoughtful. I've spent some time on this podcast and in, and in my, my professional life thinking about academia and all the public policy schools and uh, wondering if the public policy programs are, uh, across the country could be doing more to be in the center of public policy and public administration debates in a positive way versus more on the sidelines in the laboratory. Um, because I felt, and maybe everyone feels this way in their current time, that things feel really broken right now. Um doesn't feel like we're we're you know it feels like politics dominates public policy and how do we and there's always going to be politics, but how do we rebalance the the atmosphere so that there's a better mix of public policy and politics um, and uh, and I feel like everyone needs to grab a shovel, as I like to say and get involved. Yeah. Um, And think tanks can play a role. I mean, sometimes, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I think sometimes even think tanks get politicized. Like you hear about certain think tanks being on the the right-hand side of the political spectrum, certain think tanks being on the left-hand side of the political spectrum. Do you run into that in terms of um, as a barrier to to having the right seat at the table and having the influence uh, that you guys wanna have on good public policy?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think we run into that as much as um, we work hard at Urban Institute to be bipartisan and to um, let the facts take us where they may, lead us to where they may. And and so one of our kind of taglines is that facts matter. One thing we learned though, is that um, facts in a bubble or a a report that we do that comes out in a bubble isn't going to influence, we actually need to uh, communicate better. And so you. one of the things, difference between when you and I went to grad school, Danny, and now is just the proliferation of data and data analytical tool, you know, analytics, and analytical yeah. tools. And so um, we've spent some time over the, uh, over many years trying to um, help visualize data, help uh, build models that can ask what if questions. And I think you know, those are nonpartisan tools, uh, but, but we help try to communicate information, I think, in a way that is both nonpartisan but helpful, because while it remains true that facts matter, um, if no one's listening to them, then it doesn't matter. So um, again, a nonpartisan issue, uh, how do you get people to understand what's underneath um, numbers or what's underneath information? And that's that's um, I think graduate schools. Uh, everyone grabbing a shovel is is what as I like that uh, metaphor. And I think the Urban Institute is um, um, using a bunch of shovels to try to to try to work on that. But we, uh, you know, we do our work uh, without fear or favor.
1: I guess is how I would <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, I mean, I let's let's transition to transition or transition to the state of the world right now and you know clearly things are are broken in a a variety of different ways um and uh and i thought we'd unpack that not from a political standpoint because that's not that's not our job at gov actually but just more to try to unpack and understand it um, and what its impacts are, and and it's difficult because we're we are in kind of an unprecedented situation. There are maybe some analogs that we can hearken back to, like in two thousand, we had a disputed election, and uh, and no real transition until um, until the Supreme Court ruled on the uh, election result in in mid December. So that's maybe a good analog. Yeah, cool. Um but, uh, but this is uh, different for a couple of different reasons. Uh, we also, you know, are, are in the middle of a, of a pandemic, uh, which is also, it's not, that's not unprecedented, but it's a once in a century event and it creates an enormous additional amount of strain on the system. Uh, I think that's an understatement and it strains the system in so many different ways. Uh, it, it, it stress, it's a stressor for people. Um, it it's, creates a tremendous amount of logistical challenge for the government t- to deal with. It's dynamic, the challenge changes and evolves. Um, and therefore, the, you know, we have a situation in which we are gonna transition in the middle of an acute crisis where the government has to play a key role in dealing with this crisis. So in many ways it's a perfect storm and um, and and therefore it's uh, it's an extraordinary moment in the country's history.
2: I agree, I agree with that. I also want to kind of step back a second Danny if you and I can help people understand what's happening in a transition and I know we're in yeah. transition rating but you know there are some 4,000 leaders of the federal government, 700 of which need you know, Senate confirmation, that are going to take over the reins once there is a new president sworn in, to, to, that, that, are, that are supposed to take over the reins when a president is sworn in to help run the government. So there is no company on the planet that would switch out all its top leadership. Uh, uh, there there are other governments, I guess, that would do that, but there's no planet. Uh, there's no there's no um, corporation on the planet that would do that because that's risky, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so that's the so that's what it means to have a transition, right? It's to it's to have a a peaceful handoff of information from one set of leaders, um, and workers to another. Um, there's plenty, there are plenty of, um, as you know, senior executives that are uh, uh, will have the authority to run things if there is not a political appointee named or confirmed above them. But it is a
1: huge, huge undertaking and handoff. Yeah. Well, I think about that. You, you raise a good point about the, the, the civil servants in government represent a couple of different critical parts of the transition in some ways, an insurance policy and a safety net, um, you know, because they're there, you know, it helps avoid worst case scenarios that could go wrong in a transition, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but they're also playing, you know, so so they're making sure the train schedules, the trains keep showing up on time, even during this transition, but they're also training the incoming folks, letting them know what's going on, giving them a speedy understanding of what the key risks are that are faced in the medium term and in the short term. What are the key decisions that need to be made? Yep. Um, where, and it's it's actually it's an opportunity, you know, and not to be political but to be substantive, for them to say this is where we were doing things right. And this is where we weren't doing things right, you know? And the political leadership can take that information in and and make judgment calls. Like one of the big mistakes that that happens during transitions is that political leadership comes in and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They assume that everything that their predecessor did must have been bad or wrong or broken because they've spent the past year and a half campaigning against how, you know, and making the case that it's so awful, we need to take over. Um, but the reality is, is that a lot of the work that's been done for the most part is across government is nonpartisan and is just about, you know, making the government function better. And then there's a portion that is very partisan. And then you then a, a new administration from a new party might want to come in and tinker uh, extensively with it. But it's the civil servants that are your Sherpa, your guide, your dosing, yeah. you show up and they should make you they should give you warm and fuzzies. They they greet you at the door with a warm blanket and a hot cup of cocoa, and they're like, "Come on, come on in, come on in. It's going to be okay. We're going to." I'm not sure it's exactly
2: like that, but I like that uh, image of uh, a warm blanket and a cup of hot cocoa.
1: <laughs> it should be that way. I mean, I right? was one of the leaders of the of the civil servant. Did Ella you hand training. out hot cocoa, Danny? Uh, I just I should have. I You see, you live and learn. You know, when you leave government, you come up with a list of all the things you regret that you didn't do when you were in government. And then if you ever get the chance to go back to government, I have this list of things that I'm gonna do better and smarter. And, oh gosh, I, I spend I a lot this. of time. I love this, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I spend a ton of my life thinking about all of the things I could have done better when I was a government leader. Because I was young and and, and less experienced and and um, and and didn't have the benefit of time and reflection, and um, hot cocoa is on my list. I just have
2: to. say <laughs> <laughs> I'll say I showed up with donuts my first day at Treasury. Smart. So i I've uh, I was uh, yeah. I'm trying. I'll but yeah. you know I. I'll, I I mean, this is just a, this is a kind of a diversion, but you're pretty hard on yourself. I mean, I, I think it's natural to, to learn and grow and try different things in any job you have. I mean, obviously you are a public servant kind of in your, in your bones. Like you've had, like, like me, you've had a lot of experiences where you've gotten an opportunity to serve the public, but you know, that's normal leadership, Danny, to kind of think about new things to try. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll give you an example just because this is. uh, Why not? That that yeah why not um, mm-hmm. that's come up that I think a lot about and it's like it's it's around leadership communication and I think mm-hmm. one of the things that you always are are challenged by is how do you communicate what's going on to the organization? Decisions are made in your inner circle. You don't want the organization to necessarily find out from the media. And then in every job I've ever had, where I was a leader, the rest of the agency has complained. It's like, well, the front office doesn't communicate all that well. We We don't know what's going on. One of the things I've thought a lot about is there's a tension and a balance. Why don't we open the doors? Why are our leadership meetings so small? And why are why are there why don't we have more an extensive group of people listening in, and or involved, or be much more open and transparent about everything that's going on in the front office? And I think the reason, one of the reasons, in you know, oh leaks, and uh, and whatnot. And predecisional things,
2: Danny. Pre-deci- if something's pre-decisional, predecisional.
1: Yeah. Predecisional. Right? Mm-hmm. I what I'd like to, what I think I, if I could come back into a leadership position in government, I think I would I would bend a little bit more towards uh, inclusion and and balance the benefit of that against the risks of the leaks and and confusion caused by predecisional. Um it's just something that I've thought a lot about. I'm, I, I've realized that I'd like to have more people in the room at the risk of a leak than less people in the room and then have you know, kind of poor communication going on. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I don't know, I don't,
1: that's, that's one of the things that, that, I've, that I've thought about um, that I think that when I was like, for example, in the OMB leadership team, yeah. I, would, you know, I was in the gray building and the red building would say, gosh, you, know, you guys don't communicate all that effectively. And yeah, like, I, don't and know I mean, how, I don't know how to fix that. Now I well, think I can fix that. I think that's a
2: wonderful idea, particularly for a place like the Office of Management and Budget, having been in the red building, you know, but not the great building. Uh, um,
1: yeah,
2: you know, you, you, if you're at a place like, and I would say most places, um, what people don't realize is that the federal government uh, has a lot of technical professionals right, that are, um, many of which have, you know, kind of advanced degrees and are are hired because they are experts in their field. At a place like the Office of Management and Budget, you actually spend a lot of time waiting on the Gray Building, at least that's how it was back in the day, as I would say. And so it's not so much, um, can we be brought into every decision, but like big parts of my life, like uh, were spent in evenings hanging out waiting for a meeting to be done so that we could get direction um, on what you know I was in the health financing branch at the time should we be running more models should we be doing more analysis for something that's needed by that night or the next day so so for for anyone going into a transition to remember that the civil servants behind that and whether it's a communication strategy as you're saying Danny and for me I'm big on employee engagement right but However you do that, just to remember that people spend a good part of their lives kind of working and um, uh, aiming to to do um, what they are uh, supposed to be doing to carry out the policies uh, of the federal government. And so to remember that there's a person on the other side of that briefing. So
1: so I'm (laughs) going to close out this segment, uh, and then we're going to talk about transition and waiting. With it, with a quick reflection on what you said about predecisional and um, yep. and you know and leaks, um, and we're going to draw an analogy. So every once in a while, I get the opportunity to to counsel uh, people on testifying before Congress. I, I did it a lot. And one of the uh, you know one of the things i learned i was i wasn't great at it from the beginning but i got, i think i got better at it with experience as you often do and one of the tips i give to people who are testifying before congress is if you get a yes or no question don't always equivocate if they give you an easy one say yes or say yeah. no yeah, you know, because then it's then it's a diverse portfolio of answers between direct yeses and nos, and then some and explaining exactly. So I, right. I've watched I've watched people testify, and they think they can never say yes or no. So it's like, did you start? Um, uh, did you join the office in uh, January of, of, of 2016? Well, sir, uh, it really depends on what you mean by start. Thank you for that um, question. Uh, you know, um, let me tell you I about was, my you know, I, was a, life. I was a counselor at first. My <laughs> nomination was first an intent to nominate. Like, <laughs> just say yes, it's an, it's an easy one. Like you get credit for the direct answer. And so coming back to this, like the, the, the front office meetings that are all secretive at right. the rest of the organization, yeah. there's some stuff that, can, that, that that is a, right, it is predecisional that would cause chaos if it got out because you haven't really decided it yet, or it's-, it's crazy sensitive. idea number 45. I mean, exactly. you know. <laughs> exactly, like, gosh, it would create too much chaos. But there's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff that can get out there. That's that's my version of the yes or no. Mm-hmm. That, that is really not that problematic. But often leaders put everything into the into the tighter bubble. Okay, that's my that's my segment one analogy. Let's take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about transition and waiting.
0: Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop.
1: GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. Okay, Nani, we're back. You know, I forgot to mention in your bio that you are a former professional stand-up comedian, and therefore (laughs) uh, that's one of the reasons why Dan said, let's get Nani. Uh, She'll be a lot funnier than me. Um, so at some point in a future episode, I'm just going to give you the mic and have you riff on something, and I'll just. Oh listen. my word! If I
2: could How just clarify nice. this this uh, lingering this rumor? rumor about my about my past, I did okay. sketch comedy. That means like I wrote skits and performed them, okay. right? And that was like it, in like college. It, like
1: Where? Which second City.
2: Uh, university of Pennsylvania? No, no, in college. Okay. Um, uh, so that was a long time ago, Danny. Okay. <laughs> that
1: was Understood. a long.
2: But you know, I'll I'll um I'll do my best uh, as usual. Yes.
1: That's like <laughs> so. saying Danny was on the tennis team in high school. He must be. That's good exactly
2: at what that is. Exactly.
1: And, yeah. And let yeah. me tell you something. As a forty-nine-year-old, I really stink at tennis now. I'm I was going to say <laughs> we could
2: as... we could take a break and have you tell us your tennis moves or something. I don't. I'm
1: terrible at tennis. Like I okay. stopped playing essentially. I yeah. don't. I can't even hold a racket correctly anymore. So, okay, I will not put the uh, the pressure on you for uh, for sketching. I mean, perhaps I can
2: write like a skit or a haiku or something. Maybe if that's yes. helpful.
1: Okay. Yes, and then I'll and then I'll play some tennis, and it'll be you know. I really, mean, if really I'm writing
2: good. a skit, Danny, that means you're cast in the skit. This means it is not a passive thing to hand me the mic. You're actually going okay. to. Okay. And and back in the day, you'll you'll remember, and this is kind of going into like the deep dark secrets of OMB. But there is something called Budget Examiner's Day. I don't think uh, they still so do yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know a lot about I don't it. Think they so do I participated it, participated so quite a few. Yeah, so I, I I helped direct a couple of those. Yes, that <laughs> was at OMB, and um, we would add in you know what I used to call show you know, a little bit of, of uh, you know content before the skits happen or in between. Um, I I don't I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure that furthered my career at all over there, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It may have been ill advice. Somebody I like you that. might it's have a, not done that.
1: <laughs> it's essentially a roast, and it's
2: a, it's a, roast. a roast for yeah. fun.
1: That's what it is. It's a, it's roast. a roast
2: for fun. And, but you know, people, people are. If you're sensitive, if you're a sensitive political point, you at know, OMB, you may not appreciate said roast. So.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I, especially like after like the GSA Las Vegas conference scandal, oh I word. felt like they're f for too period, close to that. The notion was like, you could never have fun of any yeah, kind yeah. At, at work ever, you know? It's like, eliminate even the water coolers. Like there's I'll no... say there
2: was a lot of content though, if I, didn't, I did not, I haven't participated in a BE day since, you know, the nineties, but there was uh, that would have been a good set of material for some skits. So I'll just, I'll just put yes. that there. Yes,
1: yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. So here we are, transition and waiting. Just some facts. I think. I think this is like. You know what's interesting though about the Las Vegas conference hearing is like that's the last time you saw Wolf Blitzer and all these other uh, big uh, newscasters talk about a little known agency that no one's ever heard of (laughs) called the GSA. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, it's eight years later and I turn on the TV and everyone's talking about this little known agency that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. uh, Which, 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 you know, um, clearly should not be as little known anymore. Are they so, still
2: saying a little
1: known agency?
2: Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. It yes. remains so so Dan Tangerlini, who headed up, said little known agency it's, for a few years.
1: Exactly. Ago, was
2: unable to exactly. increase its
1: uh, you know stature. Yes. <laughs> in the that's in the why media. I joke with him. I was the head of the IRS. And oh, yeah. That is that's a not well a little known, known agency. agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a well known agency. So I can tease Dan with his little known agency versus my uh, Which one very really famous agency.
2: Them? Yeah.
1: That's, yeah. A, that's a really good point. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's better to be little known. Um, but anyway, so GSA has a responsibility under the law to, to what's called ascertain when an apparent winner has been declared for the presidency. And essentially trigger the logistics behind the transition. That right. means provide space, provide uh, email addresses and, and access to information. And mm-hmm. essentially is the starting gun that allows these what what are technically non-government officials and employees to come in and essentially have the accoutrement of a government employee because now you get access to federal buildings access to federal email access to federal equipment access to federal information direct access to federal employees to start what we described earlier of this handoff to start meeting the people you're going to lead and work with Mm -hmm. understanding uh, and having a ramp period to really understand what's going on in this organization what's going on with our stakeholders what's going on with our mission what's going on with our budget so that uh 12- security
2: clearances by the way yep right? security so, so everything so you can hit the elements, ground running yeah. mm-hmm.
1: and so the 1201 p.m on january 20th it's not like you arrive and it's like okay what do i do you know you're 1201 you've actually essentially been working and uh almost like you've had a common law marriage and now you're getting the 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 certificate you're in you're you've had it going on and um and and the whole setup is is the law when it was created I don't think anticipated a situation like this I also I'm not a legal scholar by any stretch but But you play one on TV though. I do. (laughs) I think what's real what's an interesting controversy right now is I don't think the GSA administrator has independent authority to ascertain the apparent winner. There are some, and this is important, there are some Mm -hmm. parts of government where where Congress provides you an independent authority, whereas you get to make the decision. And right. if the bosses above you disagree, they can disagree, but it's not insubordination to go forward with your decision. So mm-hmm. there are moments where Congress anticipates this and creates kind of a, a protective layer around right. the decision maker such that the decision itself is not insubordination if your superiors disagree with you or not.
2: It's not an adverse this,
1: act. This is, does not it's appear that. to be one of those situations. At least, I mean, I'd be. I, we, should, we could have a lawyer on the next episode, but I, I reread the law and I didn't see anything that pointed to that. Yeah. So it really is a difficult situation where where people are saying, "Well, this GSA administrator should do X or Y." And the reality, to me, it's not clear that, that this delegated authority is, is a, a independent and whether ultimately the White House has the, the ultimate call here. Right. Um, but it's something that maybe will re- be revisited in the law going forward um, to figure out whether there should be uh, more independent authority or more clarity on what the authorities are for something like this.
0: But That's here really we are in a situation yeah.
1: where the incumbent president, is challenging the results of the election, and we are not going to comment on the 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 efficacy of those of those charges. That's that's for the courts to do, um, and uh, and and therefore you have a situation in which in which GSA is not triggered the transition. So it hasn't happened yet. So here we are, it's, it's, it's getting into be mid to late November, like the Thanksgiving turkey is, it's, it's time to buy the Thanksgiving turkey. That's how, that's how deep into November. Oh, shoot. Are.
2: Is it time to do that? Yes,
1: <laughs> it is time to do that. <laughs> <it>. Get your, <laughs> get your, I'm late. Okay. your yams. Yeah. Um, okay. There could be a run on yams this year, I hear. So. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we're in a pandemic. So who knows what's uh, what's going on with the supply chain of yams. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we haven't started yet. And, mm-hmm. and so for me, what's interesting about that is that, you know, it's like every day that you can do a transition is beneficial. Like if there was no transition and we just started on January 20th, that is... Just really suboptimal for, from yeah. a transition standpoint, yeah. and, and it's hard to quantify what you lose, what the cost of each day is. Um, but but it's something that the sooner it happens, the better. Now there is this analogy of or this example of twenty of two thousand. Where the Supreme Court did not decide the uh, resolve the election dispute until mid-December so a whole other month from now and we had a very short transition and um, at least the Bush team is my understanding because the Gore team kind of had a lot of people still in government so it was kind of because Clinton was president he was vice president so the mindset of transition was a little bit different but for the Bush team, it was uh, much more around, we have to learn. Uh, and so they set up a transition uh, office um, and did a lot of what, of what the uh, Biden-Harris team appears to be doing now. Uh, so that's a really good point, uh,
2: Danny. And I think One of the things that happened after uh, George W. Bush took office, as you remember, is um, 9-11. And one of the facets of um, unpacking what happened and where we went wrong and what we needed to do to get better um, through the 9-11 commission was actually um, a discussion about transition and how uh, a, a sooner transition might have, you know, you had said earlier, every day counts, right? But might have have transferred uh, information more quickly, shared information more quickly. Um, They're not blaming uh, the transition or lack of of faster transition, uh, but they did say it was a factor. And so, um, you know, from all of those learnings uh, came the Presidential Transition Act of 2010, right? And that's where- that's where GSA gets mentioned uh, yep. as, as- That's where
1: this all started. Yep. This
2: is where it, I mean, there's always been a presidential transition um, uh, law, I guess, it's, it goes back some time, but it got updated in 2010. And that's where GSA gets deemed as the authority to provide office space and and, and all of the things you mentioned before. And there's actually an appropriation in waiting uh, of about $10 million, just under $10 million to help fund the activities of the federal government to ensure a smooth transition. So I think it's, I, I really think you're onto something here which is when that uh, act came in, into being in 2010 it did not provide the guardrails uh, for an independent decision but it did give the authority to the GSA to make that decision. So um,
1: I do think it's- Yeah, it's not to clear to me. Talk. And again, without, without taking a political lens to this if the GSA administrator made a decision like this and the White House deemed it as insubordination, you know, you would think the next step would be they would fire the GSA administrator and reverse and, and install a, uh, a new GSA administrator, an mm-hmm. acting GSA administrator who could essentially just reverse that decision, hold back right. the funds and hold back access. So That's right. um, so they're, you know, I, or it would all get tied up in litigation and maybe maybe the or maybe courts. Or both, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Just messy right. and, um, and not ideal. And, um, and I think what, what the Biden-Harris team is doing which I think is the right thing to do is one of these things where they're doing everything they can uh, in and around that core thing of, of access so right. you know so you know so the you know meeting with you know scientists or the 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 pharma companies you know the education folks should be meeting with university presidents and superintendents the agriculture folks should be meeting with farmers and farm association yep. like And they've named their transition
2: team, right? So they've named the transition team. team. They put it out in
1: public. So talk to recently retired government employees. Talk to, you know, in, in other words, surround the transition as much as possible so that you're not wasting a single day and learning everything you need to learn. And then when that day comes that there is an ascertainment and therefore the transition has begun, then that last puzzle piece gets fit in and you get the yeah. most out of those those days. Um, I mean, this is an area where we
2: benefit from uh, the the Biden-Harris team having been in government before <laughs> or yes. currently, again, Senator Harris is a current Senator. And so they th- these are not people who've never gotten a briefing from a, a federal agency before, right? So uh, as we would say, it's not their first time at the rodeo. So
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that helps. I mean, <laughs> And, and and me being the eternal optimist, like maybe this will drive even greater efficiency in the 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 handoff and the discussion of information amongst the civil servants and the politicals. You ever been in a meeting that lasts an hour and you're like, that meeting could have been ten minutes all the like time? We really? Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, I may have been. Point, I may have perpetuated that meeting on people when I was an appointee at an agency. Yeah. So I'll say so, I'm, I'm a little guilty myself.
1: Yeah. So so, my, so now you're gonna have to like get the full, that you're gonna be in a meeting that was an hour and it's be like, well, that we needed the full hour, right? Because every 10 minute segment is of, is of huge importance and there's no, there's no time to waste and, and it raises the pressure to get to the bottom line. So my hope is that this gets resolved you know, very, very soon because, because on the spectrum of starting the transition the moment after uh, election day, and the, the landing team uh, uh, starts to arrive within within a day or two of the election, at one end of the spectrum, and at the other end of the spectrum, is the access doesn't occur till the swearing in on January twentieth. You know, one is really really good because it mitigates risk and it helps with um, with 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 a lot of ramp up and a lot of learning, and gives you more and more time. And one is really, really bad because it is um, it, it it creates a lot of risk and a lot of learning. And so somewhere along that continuum is um, is where we're going to land. And I think the closer we land to November third uh, or fourth, the the better. So, um, but I think what what this does is it places pressure on the Biden. Harris team to do everything they can do outside of government interaction and really kind of ramp up those activities and kind of circle the wagons around the core things they can't do yet. And then if I'm the civil servant, it's like, let's make sure that what, that we can, that we pack into a shorter period of time with the holidays involved too. And and, and most people working remotely, so not an easy situation as much effective content as we can.
2: Uh, yeah, agree. And I and I'll say I do think the, the thing that the Transition Act of 2010 did ensure is that people start to think about this well ahead of the election. So presumably um, work has been happening at the agencies to just put together the kinds of briefings you'd need to for um, whoever wins the election. Um, and, uh, you know, again, just a, a real shout out to the civil servants who do that work. Um, it's never been more important to to do what you said, Danny, which is to um, think carefully and and distill it into kind of uh, ways that, because you're going to have less time to do it, right? Once, yeah. once this is over, um, um, I'll go back to something I said earlier, which is communication is critical, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good, that. I think a good parting shot here as we wrap up is, yet another example of the important role that the government workforce plays, how resilient they are, how critical they are and how silly and inane it is to uh, to not invest in their journeys and train them and retain them and celebrate uh, the, uh, the positive impact they have and celebrate uh, public service rather than than demean it.
2: Everyone um, should be getting hot cocoa in a blanket.
1: <laughs> I totally agree. And this is hot cocoa in a blanket. That is, uh, that that might end up on my tombstone, actually. That might be- Oh my thing. God, <laughs> that's <blanket>. hilarious. <laughs> Danny Werfel. <laughs> cocoa in a blanket. Beloved, beloved father, <laughs> hot cocoa in a blanket, yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Nani, very good. Thank you for, right. being, thanks, Danny. for being, thanks, for being Dan's stand-in, and uh, we've got a couple of uh, potential guests lined up coming up, and I'm excited to uh, to roll through. Oh, and we'll do a year in review, 2020. What a year! I mean, that's wow. going to be fun. Yeah, that's like a, there's be a lot depressing. of material there.
2: Yeah. Oh my god. Or funny. What a year
1: in review. Or funny
2: and depressing. Yeah, they're very We're close. We're going to have to
1: make it funny because you have to. Yeah, of have course. A sense of humor about a year Not like 2020. To. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then we'll do like our our resolutions for 2021. It'll be fun. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Ani. Thanks, Billy. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.